0: Okay, guys, what's going on? It was all true, Chance. What? I told you Miss Guy was crazy as a loon, and Ricky heard the psycho threats too. Not more of this nonsense. My husband has just been fired for giving shelter to his boss's lesbian wife. We are in the middle of a fiscal and emotional meltdown. We have a mortgage we can't pay, and here you are. Alex, you are certifiable. And Ricky, you are plainly the victim of his folly a de Folly of what?
1: One arm on neck, one arm on frontal. Your frontal off. Neil, three days later, you in front of his mom's house crying. He asking you why you being weird. Why you being weird to me? What's up, Hunga family? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Hunga Podcast, a Philly-based culture and society podcast from a Black queer perspective. I'm Eric Cole, the host and producer of this here show. Be sure to follow and subscribe on all podcasting and social media platforms by searching at HungaPod. That's H-U-N-G-U-P-P-O-D. I recently added a donation link in my bio link. So if you are inclined, please throw a few coin to the hung up pod. Monies will go toward updating the equipment and putting out some merch. That's right. I'm always tweeting you guys telling you to relax your shoulders. So I created a design and I'm working on getting that out soon. So be on the lookout for that. This week, I'm hung up on Beyonce. Beyonce turns 40 in September. Virgo vibes and we've really seen mother blossom over her career and turn into the formidable force that she is today earlier this month harper's bazaar did an icon issue and featured beyonce she looks amazing she was photographed by campbell addy in the interview beyonce dives into each decade leading into her 40s she also talks about what community looks like for her and how she practices self-care So be sure to check out that article. It's called Beyonce's Evolution, and it is in the icon issue, the August icon issue of Harper's Bazaar magazine. Let's go ahead and get into this week's conversation. I catch up with Doug Spearman, who many of us know as Chance from the iconic Logo Network TV series Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was a groundbreaking television show that really made history by centering the professional and social lives of four black gay friends living in Los Angeles. Doug is an actor, director, producer, and writer. The interview was cut a little shorter than what I intended. I was in the middle of a thunderstorm here in Philly and Doug was out in LA and the storm just kicked out the audio, dropped a call abruptly i didn't even know doug ended up instagram you know how you do the video chat on instagram now he called me and i was answered the phone confused like hello he was like you hung up on me (laughs) i didn't even know that the call had ended so there may be a follow-up to this conversation to talk about a romance drama that he wrote and directed in 2019 called from zero to i love you story of a gay man who falls in love with another man who's in the closet and married. The movie dives deep into how they confront the complexities in this relationship. In this episode, you're going to hear a lot about Doug's career and his life before Noah's Ark and how his upbringing influenced his trajectory as an actor, as a producer, a director, and a writer. We also get into his role as Chance in Noah's Ark, and how groundbreaking it was for him to be playing a role of a black gay man in a committed relationship, also raising a daughter. Doug closes out with some really interesting perspective around how our lives, our relationships, our sexuality are portrayed on screen today versus back in 2005 when Noah's Ark was released. The family, welcome to the Hunga podcast, actor, director, writer, and producer, Doug Spearman. Doug, welcome to the Hunga podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. I am so excited about having you here. And I know that the listeners are going to be really loving that you're here too, because you're our, you're our type of people. What do you mean? We just love you.
0: Oh, well,
1: thank you. I appreciate <laughs> you. for everything that you you've done, all your work, um, what you represent uh, for the culture, um, and just how you've provided your gift to the community and to the world. Um, just wow! Just really, I, I we're hung up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Yes. I, that that's
0: really nice of you to say.
1: Doug, I introduced you, but please introduce yourself and let the listeners know where we can find you on social media.
0: So uh, this is Doug Spearman, writer, producer, director, actor. I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, just find me, it's Doug Spearman, S-P-E-A-R-M-A-N. That's where you find me.
1: Thank you. And I'll make sure I also include your contact information in the episode notes. So everyone, please make sure you follow Doug. And after this interview, if you're not already following him after this interview, I'm sure you will. (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: We're gonna we're
1: gonna dish it all
0: out and (laughs) begging for more.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is great. This is great. Okay. So we're gonna kick it off with an icebreaker. I don't I don't always do an icebreaker with my guests, but I wanted to do one with you because you're Duck Spearman.
0: I don't even know what that means, but okay.
1: (laughs) And, you know, a lot of us, like myself, this is my first time getting to meet you and getting to speak with you. um, And at the same time, producing content for my podcast. so I'm I'm really grateful for that. You're busy right aren't you? (laughs) It's it's a lot going on. Yeah. But I want us all to, you know, a lot of us know you from the television screen and from movies that, um, that you've been in and, and directed. So I want us all to get to know you a little bit. So I have three okay. icebreaker questions for you. Should I be nervous? <laughs> no, not at all. This is going to be fun.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Be- because Shoot. I got to kick this off with your love for peanut butter.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I, I just... I, you have to know that when I saw you, so you all, Doug has a YouTube channel and I, I found this video on your YouTube and you talked about your love. You were doing it for, it was a reason. It was like a cause or yeah. it was, you, there was intention behind the video. I can't remember what it was. Do you, do you remember what that was?
0: No, that's why I was really surprised. When you, <laughs> when you brought up peanut butter, I'm like, when did I talk about that? Although it is a real, real thing. Like it's a real thing, me and peanut butter.
1: I love it. So, you, someone asked you to do some type of video where you had to talk about, you know, something you were doing during the quarantine. And you—oh no, that was
0: not, that wasn't YouTube. It was Instagram. Oh, it was okay, Instagram. Okay. Yeah, it was right around the time we did the. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was during quarantine, and it was right about the time we were about to do the Noah's Ark, um, Zoom, reunion. Ooh yes! I might have yeah. even been standing there with a jar of peanut butter and a spoon in my hand.
1: You actually were, and it was just oh. creamy peanut butter. You said yeah. that was your favorite. Creamy you, Peter Pan, creamy uh, reduced fat. Got it, got it. And you spoon, spooning it right out. Just yep. And I felt so connected with you. My my closest <laughs> friends are grossed out that I love peanut butter the way that I do
0: well I pity them
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) if you don't know the joys of digging into a brand there you you Mm. know what there is nothing better than the first spoon in the jar Mm -hmm. you know
1: It, it really is
0: yeah like it's just just heaven thank you George Washington Carver
1: yeah. <laughs> it really is. You open that, you crack that jar open, you peel yep. that seal back for the first yep. time. And then it's a smooth Yeah.
0: Virgin peanut you, butter.
1: Virgin. Never been touched. And I mean, it's a smooth layer. Yeah. It's like a calm ocean.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about living by myself is never having to share a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> yeah.
1: I love it. I love it. And also not being judged by standing in the kitchen at a random two o'clock in the morning in my underwear, eating peanut butter out the jar. I
0: feel very seen right now. (laughs) 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 That's exactly when I eat peanut butter. Yes. Usually, well, at least you've got underwear on.
1: Well, okay. Look. I need to get like the rest of y'all my my one of my closest friends shout out to spencer he's always telling me like you need to why you wear underwear all the time <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah he's one of those i don't know what you call them
0: I don't know. nudist Nudin-
1: nudist or nude yeah. enthusiast or whatever yes yes always at the nude beach
0: no 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 that's... never wears underwear I mean, we, we we've yeah no that's <clears throat> that's not exactly yeah i i
1: get That's distracted. not your ministry.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just too distracting.
1: Ah, got you. I think that's why I don't go either. And in terms of not wearing underwear, I just don't want my junk just flopping around all day. I don't know. I just... I have a lot of information about you right there, but... I, don't... <laughs> I. So I know you have this love for peanut butter. We connected on that. I wanted to know, what other snacks or what is your favorite go-to treat or snack when you're two o'clock in the morning here in the kitchen oh, oof. well peanut butter is definitely number one
0: mm-hmm. okay th- that is definitely number one um because i'm a it's funny you should bring this up because i'm a night eater or sleep eater like and I, for some reason i by the time I started making my first movie, I started eating in the like getting up around two thirty, three o'clock, and eating something in the middle of the night. So peanut butter is number one. Um, number two is probably if there's an oatmeal cookie in the house. Ah. Um, and number three would be cheese. Do mm. like a bit of cheese in the middle of the night.
1: Like a like the blocks of cheese. Yes. Do you like the sharp or do you just want the
0: A good mild cheddar?
1: A mild, okay.
0: Or or, or some or, or some smoked munster. Mm. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And because I live by myself, I have been known to break off a hunk and then just crawl back into bed with a hunk of cheese <laughs> or a spoon of peanut butter. It's mm. self-soothing. You know what I mean? Like
1: you do I what do. you gotta do. Yes. Yes. Icebreaker question number two. Growing up, did you always wanna be an actor? Where did you ever imagine yourself uh, doing something else or your career being something else when you were growing up?
0: The first thing I ever wanted to be was definitely an actor. Like that, that goes back to, even my mother said that because I. she remembered it earlier. Like I can remember knowing full well by the age of seven, like in the second grade wanting to be an actor. I knew then. But wow. my mother always said that she knew when I was four or five, because I went to, I was sent to see the Nutcracker and I came back, I dragged her into the living room <laughs> and then proceeded to dance the entire Nutcracker for her um, at the tender age of five. And she was like, yeah, you like to perform. Um, but I also wanted, you know, like a couple times I wanted to be an archaeologist Um, I wanted to be a ballet dancer for, I wanted to really be a, like a, a a Broadway chorus boy. Um, I did, I really did, but I was just too nervous. Um, what else? I wanted to be a comic book artist, but, um, but the thing I probably like, if I left everything and started over again, I would probably be private detective.
1: Wow. That is really so do you are you into the CSI's, the Law and Orders, the any of like the the private detective TV shows that come on? All of on? them.
0: All of them. That was <laughs> yeah. the biggest influence to my in my first movie, the first movie I wrote and directed. Oh. Hot Guys with Guns is, a, is about two guys um, who decide that they're going to play amateur private detectives, two ex boyfriends. So yeah, it's it's a big influence. But you know, like being a detective certainly being a private detective goes hand in hand with what I do, hmm. you know, because you're eavesdropping is the best way to pick up dialogue and meet people because I'm an only child and I travel a lot by myself. So if you want to meet somebody, the best way, the best way to, to meet somebody a stranger is to laugh at a joke that they're telling at the next table, then apologize. And then they usually invite you over that <laughs> has worked a million times Wow. but also right. like if you're doing research on a character or you're doing research on a a character is a person you know sometimes it's a made-up person but it's a person and they should have a three-dimensional life and um, being a private detective is the same as it's sort of the reverse engineering of being a writer or being an actor
1: that is a really dope perspective never thought about it that way
0: it's what? all psychology and motivation yeah Absolutely. And based on a feeling, you know what I mean? You -hmm. get you get a feeling about something that creates a thought, the thought creates an action.
1: Icebreaker question number three. For so many people, including myself, coming up on Noah's Ark was the first time that we were able to see a reflection of ourselves. And I wanted to read you, this was about, this was a week ago, I posted on the hung up Insta page. I did like a screenshot of a tweet where I said a lot of guys. Well, <clears throat> let me back up. <laughs> Someone tweeted, they raised me. And it was a picture wow. of the entire Noah's art cast. And I retweeted that tweet. And I said, a lot of guys I talked to say, this was the first time they remember seeing a reflection on themselves. And so many guys responded and retweeted so i ended up putting it on the hung up insta page and i just wanted to read you a few comments from that post one post was from i am underscore carlos miguel big facts i've never ever seen another man of color represent gay men as they should This show showed all sorts of gay men, not the extremely flamboyant and not just the DL. It showed us gay individuals who have a little bit of both. True sad moment when the show was canceled, but we all know why it was really canceled. But besides that, it was definitely the first time I saw myself on TV. Mm hmm. Sterly G said, love the step Noah's Ark took for our community. I finally have a group of Black queer men that I feel like the family they built, and I am so grateful and very excited to see us continue to push and show the range that we have. So just a few comments from people who, like I said, myself, just, we came up um, watching you all tell a story that we were familiar with from a personal level, but we had not ever seen it. And we miss it, you know? So my, my last icebreaker question for you was when do you remember uh, the first time seeing yourself being reflected back to you?
0: Well, let me just start off by saying this. I remember we were, we were eating dinner on the set. You know, we, you know, it was our, it was our dinner break. And I think it was the first season. I remember it was out, we were eating outside. And we got into this conversation where we were trying to imagine what it would have been like for us to have grown up with Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because there was, there was nothing. I mean, I, there were, there was a, there was a show on uh, ABC called Spin City back in the nineties and early two thousands. And there was a, Black gay character, and he looked exactly like me. Hmm. He was, but he was only, but he was living in a white world. He had no love interest. He just was, you know. But he he was literally, if chance worked in a mayor's office in San Francisco, do you know what I mean? It was the the the. In fact, did I rip off his look? I mean, like, like because I didn't have a, a goatee or a mustache until we started shooting but he did and
1: are you talking about Mo- Michael Boatman yeah who played Carter yeah oh wow okay okay keep going i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
0: so so I, I, you know it's funny i've never met michael i've never run into him and i would love to because that was the first time but i under, but he was in such an isolated world and the reason why it felt i felt connected to him because his life on the show felt very much like my life and the surroundings in the work environment that I lived that I, that I worked in. Right. But it wasn't until, um, I saw Patrick Ian Polk's punks at a screening that I'd ever actually seen two black men kiss. Hmm. And it was so, it was such a great kiss. It happens underwater in the very last scene of the movie. And it is such a Hollywood kiss do you know what I mean? It's like it's just a big epic center screen profile classic hollywood kiss and it happens underwater and it was so shocking to me like my brain nearly exploded and it I had, it had such an effect on me that I stood up in the theater instantaneously. Like when I get excited about something I'll stand up. Yeah. Like I stood up for that. And I remember, like, it was such a breathtaking moment for me because it it was both so beautiful and it was so obvious I'd never seen it before. So it was a very bittersweet moment.
1: Wow. I see. Yeah. So I just added that to my watch list. Punks came out in 2000.
0: Yeah, it really, yeah, exactly. Like it really kicked off a lot of things. And I saw it, I think, I didn't see punks until 2002. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a desert out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there were, there were no role models. I mean, like there was, you know, for, for, you know, like I'm the end of the, believe it or not, the end of the baby boom. I was born in 62. So we had, geez, the boys in the band which terrified me and you know three very uh white sort of uptight sarcastic actors who were very sort of campy like paul lynn and um charles nelson riley i mean those were our role models so i thought i was just going to be wisecracking and wearing a ascot for the rest of my life hmm. tell me about boys in the band Wait, you've never seen Boys in the Band? No.
1: They just redid it last year, two years ago? I do see a 2020, Um, I see a 1970, and then I see a 2020. Yeah. You should watch them both. The 1970
0: was the first one I saw. It was a play on Broadway, and it was was the first play on Broadway about gays, written by gays, starring mostly gays. And the movie was the first mainstream not mainstream it was the first hollywood movie about gays by gays starring gays it's hugely important and most of the the cast died of ended, you know would, would have died of aids but it's a really important thing and you should also watch the new version of it
1: okay i will Thank but you. when I, I
0: saw it when I, I saw it the year that it came out Wow. And it terrified me, because I already knew I had feelings for guys. I knew what was going on. I was going to say, what, what terrified you about it? it watch the movie. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're not happy, healthy people, trust me. Oh, okay. But you should watch both of them back to back.
1: Well, at last... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Harold. Happy birthday to you. Who the hell are you?
0: Well she's Harold's I'm... present for me, and she's early, and that's not even Harold, you idiot. <laughs> you
1: said whoever answered the door. But not until midnight. He's supposed to be a midnight cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> he is
0: a midnight cowboy. He looks right out of a William
1: Inge play to me. Not until midnight, and you're supposed to sing to the right person, for Christ's sakes. I told you, Harold has very, very tight, tight black curly hair. This number is practically bald. Ooh. Thank you, and fuck you. I wanted you to talk about your early years, life, sort of before Noah's Ark, because from some of the research that I've done on you, you spent some earlier years at Indiana University. You worked for BET. You also have like experience producing and directing. Um, mm-hmm. You've worked behind the scenes, props, designing costumes. Can you? Tell us a little bit more about life before Noah's Ark.
0: Well, there was an entire career. There were two careers before Noah's Ark. I mean, Noah, that, the show, we didn't start shooting the show until 2005. And when we were shooting Noah's Ark, I was I a was creative director for ABC Daytime and SoapNet. Buena Vista TV? I mean, I had a career. I'd, I'd had a career as a writer, producer, director in advertising for network television for, jeez, since 87? So, I mean, I'd i been working in TV since t- 1980 when I was in college. So it's like I had a whole life before Noah's Ark came up. Do you know what I mean? I had yeah. hundreds of plays. I, You know, I'd done plays. I'd done dozens of commercials. I, you know, I'd been in TV shows. You know, Hell Charmed was before Noah's Ark. Um, you know, it just... I. I'm pretty, let me just say this. My parents didn't want me to do what I did. You know, they, they wanted me to go to university as opposed to going to drama school, which is what I wanted to. I, went, I got accepted at a drama program in Chicago at the, at the Goodman School, which is part of DePaul University. And the Goodman Theater is world-renowned. It's fantastic. And my parents, my mother in particular, uh, <clears throat> very security-minded. Do You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And both of my parents were like, we know, we know you're talented, but you're not going, you're not going to be an actor. You're going to go to a university and you're going to study something practical. And then you're going to come out and live at home and get a job and pay rent till you die. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like very security minded. Mm -hmm. Um, But I decided freshman year that I was going to, sort of trick them and double major in theater performance and direction and television production and direction. So I came out with a chunk of skills and I didn't, it never occurred to me to not work in the field that I studied. I mean, that was the whole point of four years of college. Right. And, but I also know that I was really lucky and very determined. And I had an aunt who had a cooking show on BET in 1984. called in the kitchen with ruth there was two seasons of it and ruth jackson gave me my first my first real paying job in tv was that but i worked you know i worked for uh the pbs station in indiana where i went to school for four years for free and got tons of experience so i mean i knew what i wanted to do i mean i was just terrified to act i didn't I, i i lost my nerve i went to a One of the the great thing about Indiana was that I got a great education. The bad thing about Indiana was that I felt like I minored in racism and um, the performing arts were not very black friendly. There was, you know, like we had a black grad student in the acting program and they had to create, they had to, uh, they had to cross a color line and put him in something. Do you know what I mean? Uh, because there was nothing for us. I mean, hell, when I was a senior, we did the, the, they did West Side Story. And the girl that played Maria was from Kansas and she was blonde. And they put a brown wig on her and put mm. all this tan makeup on her face to make her Hispanic. Do you know what I mean? Wow. But I also, you know, had teachers my entire life who really believed, who saw something in me. You know, I saw, I had teachers who told me I was mentally retarded and told my parents I should be put in private special schools because I was dyslexic before dyslexia had a name. And, um, you know, I was literally told by two teachers that I was retarded. They actually used the word. Yeah. So, but I also had teachers like my drama teacher in high school and history teachers that I had, who gave me extra books and knew how thirsty I was to learn and how curious I was and the questions that I asked. I mean, I ended up with an art history minor because I kept bugging my freshman professor about like, well, why do you, how do you know about that? How do you know that's what it looked like? How do you know this? How do you know that? And he's like, I keep coming back, keep coming back. Mm. And I ended up with a minor in art history. Um, but, you know, but I was also told pretty early on that Well, I had this acting teacher in high school, drama teacher, Frank Anzalone, who lives in Philadelphia, as a matter of fact, with his husband, Dan. And Frank said, well, if you're going to be an actor, here's what you got to do. You got to speak French. You got to speak German. You got to speak Italian. Mm -hmm. You got to speak some Latin and maybe some Greek. You have to read every play written since the Greeks and understand the history of theater. You have to read the newspaper every day, at least one, not two. Read magazines, go to concerts, go to opera, go to theater. Uh, watch sports, read magazines, get out in the world, go to parties, travel.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's what I did. That's all I did. That's all I continue to do is ask questions and open new doors and look for things because I, I've always been curious. and I've always wanted to learn and know and try and see. And, you know, I've never like, even my parents, the great, one of the great things my parents didn't do was um, they never said I couldn't go somewhere or I couldn't see something? The only book my parents, that my mother, ever took out of my hand was a a book called *The Sensuous Man*. Um, when I was about thirteen, but they had a huge library. They read constantly and voraciously, so you know I was gifted with a, with an imagination because of that. So my life has always been look at those. Find those people that encourage me and say, "Why not? You know, go, go, go! Just go, go! Make a mistake or two. Get on that table and dance. I mean, like, mm. uh, so funny. Like, I was so lucky to have grown up without cameras, phone, a phone in my pocket. I mean, it's great to have basically Google tell you everything, but you know, I had to go to museums in Paris or the Prado in Spain. I had to, you know, walk along a ridge in the highlands. Do you know what I mean? Like I I got to see stuff. That's amazing. And I also was never told that I couldn't do something by somebody.
1: That's amazing. And I think it's also really inspiring to younger kids, especially in like the city I'm in in Philadelphia, where some kids never even get to leave their block. And, And so to, to know and to see that, no, you can, travel the world you there's a there's so much out here to to learn and to see and um and to experience and so well, i think it's yeah. really awesome
0: yeah well see if you just walked three blocks differently you know a lot of things you know like i live in new orleans now and living in the deep south has really like shoved my culture my blackness in my face Hmm. you know what i mean and and my own sense of privilege because of the way i was raised and the expectations that were put on me and i see that not everybody got that i mean it's really clear even though i know it here in los angeles where i lived like there are people who live down maybe 200 blocks from where i am right now who've never seen the ocean they've never been to hollywood boulevard you know what i mean and a lot of times we, as black people in this country, get told that's not for us. That's a white thing. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever told me that. So I'm like, that's just a thing. I want to see it. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, I'm always amazed when I'm, when I hear people say like, you know, like the whole pumpkin pie versus sweet potato. <laughs> like I had a really long discussion with a friend of mine, it's mother, because she's, she wouldn't eat Sweet potato pie? No, she wouldn't eat pumpkin pie. It's like that's a white thing. I'm like, you are going to ruin your child telling him things like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't. You can't tell somebody, and you can't believe it when they do tell you. Yeah, it's not real. It's not real. It's based on other people's fears. And like mm-hmm. the the thing that 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 I had to realize, like I was lucky enough to realize with my parents, is that my life was not going to be ordered by their fears and insecurities.
1: I was going to have to be braver than them. Yes. Yes. Was there a moment when they just kind of let you kind of do your thing?
0: Yeah, always. (laughs) Always.
1: Even though they had Um, these expectations for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, my, My father only said no to me once in my life when I said I wanted to do something. And that was the day that I graduated from college. He was packing up my the car to take my stuff home. And he's like, and I said, well, don't unpack any of that stuff. Just put it in the attic and I'll just, I'm going to move to LA when I get home. And he said, no, you're not. <laughs> and that was the first time in my life my father had ever said no to me. And I was shocked. Shocked, I tell you.
1: How did you respond
0: to that? I shut my mouth. Uh, you didn't, you know, like I had a black father. I wasn't going to argue with him. Um, yeah. And I kind of, I kind of, I, I, ate it a little bit on that. But I know my mother always sort of believed in me and um, defended me. I would come home and I'd hear my mother on the phone, talking about something. Like I dated a uh, one of the neighbors, um, had an opinion about the fact that I had a white girlfriend in high school. And I heard my mother. she was on the phone when I came home from school, and I could hear her in the kitchen when I walked in, and. She's like, it's his business. He can date whoever he wants to. What do, you, what do you care, you know? Or like when I was in junior high school, I read a book called um, The Front Runner, which is probably still the greatest gay love story ever written, to me at least. And I picked it up when I was 13 and I was reading it and my grandmother, I was staying with my grandmother in Brooklyn and she called my mother. And my mother said like, let him read it, it's a book. Not going to kill him. Wow! And because my parents never had any kind of issue about stuff like that. Like I even wrote a book report on the front runner, turned it in eighth grade.
1: You remember what grade you got on it? <laughs> a minus.
0: We got an A minus. And Ms. Wright wrote, you are very brave and a star. <laughs> and I didn't know what, you know, I was an adult before I realized why she wrote that. Mm. Because it was just such a normal thing in my house. Did you ever read Faggots by Larry Kramer? no us if you want to know what life was like before aids (laughs) and what the gay agenda was before it was a volvo with a baby seat in the back of it and the perfect summer wedding i mean read faggots it's pretty spot on and i read it in when i was 16 and when i was done i gave it to my mother to read i was a junior in high school i'm like mom you got to read this book it's awesome Starts off with a big gay orgy.
1: Wow. Portrayal of 1970s New York. Very visible gay community in a time before AIDS.
0: Yeah, New York and D.C. In fact, in Washington, D.C., yeah.
1: Mm. Portrayal know of your history sex Eric. sex and rec- recreational <laughs> drug use. Yes. <sighs> okay. Back
0: in the days when there were no trigger warnings you realize, I you know, the whole thing of like, when they had to, you know, they started putting little notes on TV and movies where they would say, okay, this has this in it and this has that in it. Yeah. You know, I was in my 40s before that happened. So I lived the bulk of my life without knowing what the hell I was getting into. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> we we <we'd> survived. <laughs>
1: God damn. And you could probably hear mom's voice in the back of your head like, go on and do it. It's not going to kill you.
0: Yeah, it's not going to kill you. Here, have some champagne.
1: So, Nora's art comes along in 2005. It was on TV for two seasons. And this was a cable television series that centered the social and professional lives of four Black gay friends living in Los Angeles. Then, as a matter of fact, in 2005, so the, the, the series ran from 2005 until 2006, and I moved to Philly in 2006. So I was 19 years old when mm. Noah's Ark came out. And then you guys did a movie and in 2008. You did Jumping the Broom. And then the last time that we got to see you all together was a reunion show. And I believe that was in July of 2020, Yeah, right in the middle of the pandemic. And I just want you to know that we needed that (laughs) for so many reasons. We needed that. And then when when it was over, you know, we're talking online, we're talking on Twitter, and we realized that we needed it even more than what we thought we needed it. So it was, for me, it was exactly like i said what the fans of noah's ark have been wanting and what they needed and it was great to see our faves back together but also you know even though it was a virtual show you guys did such a great job at keeping that noah's ark flavor that we are really familiar with and that we love um it was just so nice to see everyone back together again cool (laughs) i'm glad you enjoyed it Today, more than ever, we see expressions of queer love. We see families between two men being created and also celebrated. What were your initial thoughts and feelings about playing Chance, someone who would be in a committed same-sex relationship and also be raising a daughter?
0: That was the reason I took the part. Mm -hmm. So I was a recast. I auditioned for it. Actually, I auditioned for Ricky. Um, That was the part that I wanted. (laughs) <laughs> that was Ooh. the part I really understood. Was Ricky? <laughs> um, yeah, that was that I really. But I also saw the show as a lot darker <laughs> than than Patrick did, and um, so he cast somebody else as Chance, um, whose name was Solomon at the time. It wasn't Chance. He wasn't written. Was, he wasn't Chance until right before they started shooting. I think. Um, I don't remember that, um, but. Patrick asked, called me and asked me if I could, you know, you know those sh- series of shorts that we did before the series, right? Yes. All right. So we did a whole bunch of little short things. God, I wonder where they, Oh, I know they're on the DVD, but I wonder if I you could find them somewhere. I
1: wonder maybe Amazon. Got, oh,
0: these all, These weird little shorts that we did.
1: Chance just got married. After knowing the guy less than a year. When it's right, you just know it. And the guy has a baby. Little Egypt, she is so
0: cute. Her name is Kenya, and I love her and her daddy very much. I don't know. Less than a year. But it's not like Alex's relationship is all sunshine and roses. Alex has a little problem. Insane jealousy. And his boyfriend Trey is
1: extremely good looking. I know my man is fine. When all these boys see him, they get hot peaches. Trust. I tell Alex all the time. I love you, baby. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Alex is a little paranoid when it comes to Trey. Child, please, you turn your back for a second. These queens on your man like a flock of vultures. Beat it, pigeons.
0: Beat it. Anyway, so Patrick wanted to do one, and I was leaving for New York, and um, I was going on a little vacay with my then boyfriend. And I, he asked me if I could shoot, and I'm like, "No, I can't. I'm not going to be here. I'm going over. I'm going away." He called me. He's like, "Can you change your plans?" I'm like, "No, I can't. I'm going to New York with my boyfriend." And by the time when I got off the plane, and I was in the luggage luggage and yeah and the baggage claim at jfk it was friday night it was 11 30 and patrick had left me two messages and he was really explaining it to me and when he said the part about the fact that chance was married or was in a relationship at the time we got married first season but he had a daughter i was like okay i think i want to do that because it was the most radical thing i'd ever seen hmm. do you know what i mean like hmm. at the time you know, like th- this, we, that, that relationship between Chance and Eddie and Kenya, their daughter predated, like, do you remember the, like on Facebook or a couple of years ago, like 10 years ago, there was a big thing about two black men trying to do their daughter's hair. It was like these two super hot tatted young black dads and they were all, they were trying to do yeah. their daughter's hair Yeah, mm-hmm. and it became this like big thing. Th- it was a thing. Yeah. And so that was that was probably six, seven years after Noah's Ark. So I wanted to play Chance specifically because of the family, the immediate family that Chance had. Because mm. I thought I no one's ever gonna see that. No one's seen that before. And if I get to do something and say something positive about this, yeah, I want to be part of that. That was the that was the the one true reason I took the part.
1: That relationship, seeing that on screen, seeing that. You know, between two gay black men, you all kind of set the tone. <laughs> um, we had never seen that before, and in sure. this one thing that was just kind of like, because even now, I mean, the idea of family for I feel like a lot of a lot of us queer men, especially single men, it's it's kind of weird to think about it. It's it's kind of weird to you know you kind of wonder where you're going to land sometimes. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, you can one family, you know what I mean? Like you can one family, but you don't necessarily always know what that's going to look like for you. Right. Exactly.
0: Like I've, I've been lucky. I, like, I had two boys to help raise, you know, I have two godsons who are, you know, they're not my biologicals, but you know, I was there from the moment, like I was in the delivery room. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I spent the bulk of their lives not being more than five blocks from them and trying to be as much a part of their lives as I possibly could. So I had that. Do you know what I mean? I got to be, you know, a volunteer at the school and library helper and picking them up and taking them to school and coming and getting them and you know, being on the permission, you know, like just all of that stuff. I had the kid experience. I'm I'm really glad that I did. I'm, I'm so, it's one of the greatest gifts I've ever given was the chance to be part of Alexander and Lucas's lives. So I understand what you're saying. I, although my, my initial idea of what, we, we, all I can say is that we build family and like when I was coming out and coming up and growing up, like the idea of two gay, two gay men having a family was just like that. That was unheard of. Nor was it really necessarily wanted. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, you, you all, there were long, there have always been long-term same sex relationships mm-hmm. since, you know, since we crawled out of the ooze, I'm sure <laughs> like two like lizards looked at each other and went you're hot, you're hot. I'm going to spend my life with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're a boy lizard. So am I big deal. Um, but it's not necessarily something that was ever modeled. Do you know what I mean? Like I I rewatched milk with a friend of mine who'd never seen it. Didn't even know who Harvey milk was, Mm. which made me want to like punch him in the head. (laughs) Um, He's 28 years old. He's 28 years old. openly gay had never heard of Harvey milk. That's like, like, Harvey Milk is a civil rights icon, especially for gay men. Do you know what I mean? He should be taught in schools the yeah. same way you teach Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King.
1: I agree. Absolutely.
0: You know, Absolutely. so we, but we had a different world that we lived in. until now making the adjustment to figure out what it, what does it look like now? You have options. We have options. And if that option you want is a family, then hopefully you can find it. But not every family is a happy family. That's the thing, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I grew up with parents. My mother and father were married and they lived together, but they fought like cats and dogs. And I used to beg my mother to, to leave my dad. She never did, you know. Um, but just because something forms a unit doesn't mean it's necessarily the healthiest unit or it's going to last
1: forever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, some, so this, and something else that I picked up from what you were saying is that, we also have the power to define what family looks like for us. Like, oh yeah, it, you know, nieces, nephews, godchildren—that um, makes family too. It may not be the getting married and adopting children. That's not. That may not necessarily be everyone's story. Mm-hmm. But what I hear is that you know what I'm hearing from you is that we 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 have the power to define and to to write our story how we want it. go for
0: the people that jump light up like a Christmas tree when you walk in Mm. those are your family Mm. the people that light up like they just found out they won an Oscar those are your family I don't care whether you're related to them or not I mean I have people who I'm related to that if they were on fire and I was the only source of liquid those babies would burn (laughs) <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yes. Like I have, a, I have I have some family members that I wouldn't pee on if they were blazing, mm-hmm. uh, but I also terrible. have friends. Yes, you know, but but I also have friends. Like I'm just coming back to one of the reasons I came back for this little week in LA is that I just needed the hugs. I needed people who've known me for the bulk of my life, and it's been fantastic.
1: Yeah, hugging
0: COVID nineteen. Not re- being respected, but it's just been like shit. Yeah, A friend of mine and I were hugging in a coffee shop a couple hours ago, and a guy was saw us. He's like, "Oh my god, that's the best hug I've ever seen. Could you do it again?" And like, I would that, that like we were trying, we we're literally trying to break each other's ribs. We were holding each other so hard, and this guy just said, "Like, I've never seen two people two two people hug like that."
1: That's amazing. And he just got so much joy out of just seeing, just witnessing.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: That's your family. Mm. Oof! I felt that. I'm, I'm taking that with me. I want you to know. Yeah. I felt that. That. <sighs> Thank you for that, Doug. You're welcome. I listened to an interview that you did and you talked about how gay lives and gay stories are portrayed today a little more raw, a little more honest compared to, let's say, 10 years ago about when you were on the set of Noah's Ark. If you could talk about your experience being an actor on a gay television show that centered Black men, but the pressure that you experienced from producers of the show to kind of keep a low profile.
0: Well... You know, I've never been in the closet. I just, you know, if 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 I was, it had like, like it had cellophane, a cellophane door on it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it was <laughs> never, it was no, it came to no surprise or shock <laughs> um, to anyone when I declared myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been active. I always, you know, like when the AIDS epidemic happened, I started volunteering. Like we all did, you know, we all, did stuff and we all went on record for saying things and being places and so when the internet caught up with our lives that stuff was already there and when noah's ark first came out we had this training session at logo in the office where we were taught how to talk to press and things like that and we were put upon to not talk about our sexuality not talk about who we were in, and their 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 rationale was to create an air of mystery, and I was like, "Fuck mystery! Google me; you'll find out." I'm, you know, it's like it's I'm not doing that,
1: mm.
0: um, which I thought was ass backwards, you know, or bass backwards, as my mother would say. Um, uh, it was just it just didn't make any sense. Do you know what I mean? And no. we also like there's there's a lot to you know. It's completely different watching gay shows now. I mean, shows where, like, gay men exist at all. Do you know what I mean? It's a completely different world. I mean, part of the problem with Noah's Ark was that it was on Logo, and Logo was a, uh, a, wasn't a premium tier channel. So it was just pumped into a lot of people's houses. So we couldn't even say sex club, yet wow. say hookup party. Wow. Do you notice we didn't swear? There was no nudity. Right. No nudity. No, we couldn't swear.
1: Hmm.
0: You couldn't say sex. You couldn't say the word sex on the show, hmm. which, you know, when you're trying to live a real life, it's just like, wow, this is sort of neutered. I mean, you saw the beginnings of sex and the ends of sex. In fact, I had a, there was a, was it a scene in the first episode where like all of my sex scenes always got cut out of the show. Oh. Right. And I had one where Eddie and I were supposed to have just finished having sex. And I reached for like a piece of cloth or a sheet or something to wipe my stomach.
1: Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause that's, Do you know why happened. I was
0: wiping my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did. Was- yeah. That's what you do. And (laughs) they freaked out when I did that. They're like, don't do that. I'm like, well, it's, you know, like if I just had sex and if we're in this position and I'm done, so clean up, clean up. (laughs) And I'm like, Nope. Just like, so we had the most, so it's, it's a completely different world. And then you watch like a, a, a TV show called American gods. And if you watch the first season from like 2017, there's a guy who's a Iranian, he's a taxi driver from the Middle East who falls in love, no, he's, he falls in love with a genie, a djinn. Hmm. And the most amazingly beautiful, man-on-man, full penetrative sex Ooh. you'll ever see in your life is in American Gods Season 1. Really? And that was on, that was on FX, do you know what I mean? Mm. You didn't even have to have cable to have FX. <laughs> you know, are you Googling it right now, I Eric? I am. Yes. It's the scene with the genie. It's the most erotic. You, you got to watch it. You got to. Season
1: one. Season one. Blows, it just, it's just blew my mind. Season one, episode So one, yeah, the world right? has changed a lot. Sorry? Did you say season one, episode one? Season one, episode No, one? it's not episode yeah. one. It's okay. definitely not episode one. They didn't okay. lead with that. Okay, but like somewhere in the season. Yeah,
0: but okay, but you have to understand. Like people are taking bigger and bigger risks. You have to. Mm. You have to. But at the same time, there are things that are moving. The things are not moving. Like there's never been another Noah's Ark. You know, we have a perfect opportunity to 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 create the next generation. It's so funny. I'm in LA and I just saw a, a billboard for the L Word with almost the original cast in it i was like that's crazy that they're why are they bringing that back why don't they just make something else Hmm. right do you know what i mean yeah let it be what it was you're not gonna that's like re why you're not gonna reboot i love lucy (laughs) do you know what i mean it was a thing in its place in its time on the place that it was shown
1: and you kind of like leave let it it alone and now make something else yeah You know, especially when you can, like you said, especially when you, especially when you have the, um, the, the actors and you have, uh, talented actors out there who can do, do this work.
0: Well, you, but here's the thing you can't, well, yeah, everything relies on having talented actors and a really good script. First you have a really great script and a really good story, Mm -hmm. and then you hire really good actors. Um, and then you get the fuck out the way. Mm -hmm. Um. That's my, that's how I direct. Get the fuck out the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you also have access to media platforms. Do you know what I mean? The gatekeepers aren't there the way they used to be. Like, you don't have to rely on uh, networks and studios. You get something together with your buddies and put it up on YouTube. That's true. Or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Or, facebook yeah do you know what i mean like it there are all kinds of places to get stories out and there's so many stories that are coming from those places that are finding themselves you know pose mm-hmm. you know when you think about it, like it took 30 years to get pose on the air because pose is based on paris is burning mm-hmm. which came out in 1990
1: we're gonna miss so pose.
0: <laughs> it, i i'm just amazed and happy that it existed you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, like I like every day I get mail about like everybody misses Noah's Ark and they want Noah's Ark to come back. And quite frankly, you know, if they do it, I hope they do it with a completely different cast. And I hope they do it with, in a place where they can write stories that really get to the heart of things. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not that Noah's Ark didn't, it did there were some amazing moments in noah's art, but be able to treat it like real life mm-hmm. and not sort of candy coat everything or make something new mm-hmm. there are a billion stories out there
1: so many stories to tell yeah so many stories to tell that we can either create those stories or we can just tell stories of real real lives
0: yeah, There's some extraordinary
1: exactly. stories out here that people are living or have lived. Um, mm-hmm. and they're not here anymore, but we can. Oh,
0: my God. Do you know the do you know the, the phrase drag queen? I just I, I was this year old when I discovered the story. But, do you know, the first person that was ever called a drag queen was a black man who lived and cross dressed and did a vaudeville act as a woman. In Washington, D.C. in 1900. Wow. That's the first use of the word drag queen was in, I think, the Washington Star. And it's to describe a black guy. Wow. Like that guy's story.
1: Yeah. Has a horrible
0: end. horrible end. And, you know, there was no makeup and there was no wig. I mean, there might have been a wig, but there was definitely no makeup and very few teeth. But, you know. He would not have made it in RuPaul's world, but the first person to ever be called a drag queen was mm-hmm. a black former slave living in Washington, D.C. in 1900. Can you tell that story?
1: that story? Can you imagine? Oh. Yes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when the thunderstorm cut the audio. But I love how that ended. Treat it like real life. Some things are just better left as they were. It is also very true that we have the talent, we have the outlets to create new stories. It was such an honor, and I'm really thankful that Doug dialed into the Hunger podcast. Thank you, Doug. And let's be clear the web series have long been in rotation. You got Love at First Night, Pillow Talk King Esther, Finding Me, Mama's Boy. The list goes on. And that is definitely just a few of them. There's been so many in the past and there are several out currently. So just Google it or go to I know YouTube is one platform where a lot of these web series are and they need our support. So check them out if you haven't already. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Send your listener feedback to hunguppod at gmail.com. I'm your host, Eric Cole, and I want to thank you for listening. Be sure to follow this podcast on social media and podcast platforms by searching at hunguppod. That's H-U-N-G-U-P-P-O-D. There is a donation link now in the bio link, along with some other content in past episodes. I need and I appreciate your support. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to close this episode out with a clip from a movie Doug referenced. In this episode, Punks, written and directed by Patrick Ian Polk. Shout out to Patrick. In this scene, the sisters perform a sister sledge number, Mama Never Told Me. Peace, y'all.
0: I want you to welcome to the stage That's my
1: stage with Smokies, (laughs) honey. During a rendition of an early 1970s Sister Sledge song Mama never told me Give it up for the sisters Put your hands together
0: i mm-hmm.